Are you a struggling writer with a serious case of writer's block? We've got you covered. Just call Dickens Ghostwriting Service. One of our friendly ghosts will be right to your side to help you work the rest of that story out. Use the promo code TISTHEPOD to save 30%. Enjoy the episode. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to honor Christmas in our hearts and try to keep it all the year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. And I'm Tom. Nice Dickens uh, reference there to start us off. (laughs) Thank you. So I want to kind of start this episode off with an apology to Disco54 because he was very quick to point out on Reddit (laughs) that he did not recommend last week's movie, All American Christmas Carol. He just just mentioned it. He did put it in our minds, but he didn't recommend it. And he linked the original post, and I did see he answered a question. I think Julia had asked, are there any movies where the mom is crazy? And he he said, All-American Christmas Carol. And he said in the post, it's horrible, so it shouldn't be a priority. So Disco 54, apologies for, for pinning that horrific movie on you. Of course, he also said it had a sweet ending, uh, that's which I, I, take, I take issue with disco. Big issue. We had a lot of people who enjoyed the anger that we shared amongst all of us. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Also, I wanted to tell you guys a funny story that's sure to make you and our listeners laugh, given the fact, you know, I'm known as Angry Anthony. So Sarah was behind like months on the podcast, but she's all caught up now. And she said, it is very funny that I am the least sentimental one because in real life amongst our friends group and in the marriage, I am the most, she said, quote, I'm the overly sentimental and corny one. And I was like, can you record that? Because nobody, <laughs> they're not going to believe it. And our listeners aren't going to believe it. Yeah, I'm going to need a, I'm going to need a notarized, a notarized document to that effect, please, Sarah. so yeah i knew you'd get a kick out of that (laughs) so i am really excited to talk about this week's movie i wanted to see this movie for a long time i'm interested for your take guys i am very interested in both of your takes but i do think it was a nice (laughs) whatever we think of it i'm pretty sure we'll all we all liked it better than last week's film and that's without (laughs) talking about this one at all Um, i'm not committing to that (laughs) 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 so this week for those who don't know we're covering 2017's the man who invented christmas julia how about a plot synopsis in 1843 london author charles dickens finds himself in financial trouble after writing three unsuccessful novels in a row desperate for a hit dickens relies on real life inspiration and his vivid imagination to bring ebenezer scrooge Tiny Tim and other classic characters to life in A Christmas Carol, forever changing the holiday season into the celebration known today. I already have more feels than I have had in the last two weeks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> guys, this was a good week for me. I'm calling BS on the description. The 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 whole never mind. We'll wait till we get started. Let's start with histories first. And if you don't mind, I'll go first. Yeah. So I was looking forward to this. I found out about this movie late last year probably like only a month or two before it came out. I think they released the first trailer and I was really excited about it, not only because I love A Christmas Carol, but because I liked the whole writing angle of the movie that the trailer sold, like, you know, is about the writing of it. And as a, you know, wannabe writer myself, I was like, oh, this could work for me on two fronts. So I was really excited to see it. Unfortunately, I did not get around to seeing it in theaters. First time I saw it was yesterday. And... I liked it. It was just different than I thought it would be. I think I 
enjoyed it more for the historical context and the whole writing aspect more than I did the Christmas aspect, but I'll get into that further when we talk about it in greater detail. But I liked it. I, re- I really liked it and I'd watch it again. Julia, how about you? Yep. So I watched it. I just finished it like two hours ago. <laughs> Because that's how much time I've had to watch movies in the last week. And I mean, it was, it made me feel like I should still have Christmas lights up and my tree and the house was instantly warmer. Regardless of how thick the Christmas, Christmasness is in the movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yes. It did it for me. It brought me right back and it really, really made me want to see it in the theaters back in November whenever it released. So I feel like a missed opportunity there. What about you, Tom? I was really excited to see the movie. I had anticipated that Christine and I would go see it in the theaters. Uh, we didn't get around to it either. So uh, this was my first time to see it. And to say that I was underwhelmed would be an understatement. Ooh. So be- before we dig into that, because let's start on the negative. Uh, <laughs> um, just real quick, this movie was directed by Bahart Naluri, who um, did episodes of Spooks, Life on Mars, and Hustle. And that's really all he had to his credit. And it was written by Susan Coyne, who... <gasps> Slings and Arrows? Yeah, she Ooh. worked on Slings and Arrows, Mozart in the Jungle, The Best Laid Plans, and Anna, Anna Green Gables. Gables. Oh, so she had a lot of cred to her name. Mm-hmm. And the music was done by Michael Dana, who did Life of Pi. He won an Oscar for that one, I think. Uh, the Boondock Saints, Capote, The Nativity Story, which we're covering later this year. Uh, 500 Days of Summer, The Time Traveler's Life, etc. So he's a pretty big, you know. Good stuff. Man. Good stuff. The movie 500 Days of Summer may have angered me more than just about any other movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, really? Really? I oh, love I'm that movie. I love that movie, too. I'm not saying I don't like it. I just have yeah. a very visceral reaction to it. Yeah, yeah. The best movies, the best movies are out there are the ones that make us make us have the feels, whether it's good or yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zoe Deschanel, though. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> so, so the cast list is too long to run through as a whole, but Dan, the uh, two important, the two most important probably are Dan Stevens plays Charles Dickens and Christopher Plummer plays Ebenezer Scrooge and. We'll get to everyone else in our conversation. Okay, I was going to say, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Jonathan Price. Let us not forget, let's just go on and get the Harry Potter reference out of the way right from the get-go. Were you guys excited? Yes, I was excited. Professor Sprouse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I liked your character in this, too. Okay, so let's just start with you, Tom. Why were you so underwhelmed by the film? Or I think I had it built up to be a lot better than it was. I had really high hopes for the movie, and it just didn't deliver the way I had hoped. Um, the thing I liked the way the story was told, but some of the creative license they took really irked me. The idea that people weren't celebrating Christmas. <laughs> this is what, 20 years after the night before Christmas? Christmas fever was a big deal. We'd already had Cromwell, and they had already quelched Christmas celebration, and it was back. It would not have been... I don't know, it would, there would not have been this aversion to Christmas, especially with all of the, uh, it's not like he was inventing a new genre of, of work either. And that was, so that was kind of frustrating from the get-go, that, that bugged me. So Christmas was definitely not as, there was no aversion to it as much as this movie made a seem, but it was more on the upswing than as popular as it would have become. He just kind of helped cement it. It was on the upswing, so it wasn't as, uh, you know, oh, Christmas, why are you writing about Christmas as the movie made it seem? Well, but, then, uh, when they say nobody celebrates Christmas, I mean, they went that far. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The publisher did. Oh, to- totally. Yeah, yeah. And I felt that for a movie that is so tied to one of the greatest Christmas stories ever written, it lacked Christmas. So that, I, yeah. that was my biggest problem with mm-hmm. the film. I, when you talk about under being underwhelmed, that's where I was most underwhelmed. Me too. Uh, until the last scene really when they're in the house and they're the Christmas tree and you even have the, the Christmas tree falling playing in the snow. That was beautiful. That. that was the most and that made me feel all warm and fuzzy and Christmassy inside. But up until that point, like, yeah. But wasn't that intentional? I mean, isn't the the whole idea how this book, this story, A Christmas Carol brought about a change in the season? You know, it captured the essence of the season that the movie at least made it seem like people did not have a hold on before. So were they just doing that to grasp the point? I, I think that's what they were. Their point. So, but, but the, re- and I think I would have felt less underwhelmed though, had 
the trailer not made it seem ultra Christmassy with the Christmas score and the trailer and everything. Oh, like that. sure. So I think yeah. there was a little bit of false advertising in that respect for me. Well, yeah, because who wants to see a not very Christmas atmosphere movie at Christmas time about a Christmas story? <laughs> right. I mean, right. it is. It's kind of counterintuitive, but I found it underwhelming. And I mean, I get what they were going for. You know, um, Dickens was supposed to be overcoming his own inner Scrooge as he was developing his Scrooge. Um, there was a mirror that he was looking at himself through to see Scrooge. I think if that was the goal, they should have played that up a little bit more than they did. Um, and that would that could have been done to explain why it wasn't very Christmassy. It's just the lack of Christmas really bothered me. I didn't feel like um, I get what they were going for. I just didn't feel like they executed it as well as I would have liked, and it left me wanting. See that I don't know how you feel, Julia, but that aspect really worked for me. I thought they, um, you know, did it really well that he was going on his own transformational journey with his ghost-like characters as he was trying to figure out Scrooge's trajectory as he was writing the book. And yeah, I loved all of that. I mean, that's why I think I like this movie is the surprises of developing the story and the way they showed the characters like they did. I loved every second of it. That felt very right to me. So that worked for me. So I thought it was clever that Dickens in the past, when he talked about writing A Christmas Carol, he claimed that the characters he invented would haunt his waking hours. So I liked that the movie took it literally and had the characters literally haunting him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought the most fun parts of the movie for me where all of his interactions with Scrooge and the ghosts and everything, and just hearing the direct lines of dialogue mm-hmm. pulled from A Christmas Carol as he's interacting with it and trying to write the book. I loved I that like too. That and the inspiration he pulled from the real world, mm-hmm. like when he yeah. met that total jerk yeah. at the on the stairs, and it was word for word Scrooge's lines. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Is, that that was cool. Again, I don't know how, how accurate all of that is. Like how much of it was these characters were influenced from those around him. I couldn't really find anything to that depth. It was pretty accurate in a lot of regards. He did um he did draw from inspiration around him. He had run-ins with certain people where he took inspiration for Scrooge and his characters and uh, he really wrote it in six weeks and self-published and he knew he had to get it out by December 19th before Christmas in order to sell anything. And his childhood, everything they explored with his childhood in the film was true to life as well. Wow. See, I did zero research before watching it and really I went into this movie with a complete expectation of a light British hand, Mm -hmm. which are some of my favorite movies have that very light right? British touch to it. And I love them. And so I wasn't underwhelmed, I guess, because I went into it that expectation. But I also did zero history on purpose because I didn't want to like ruin the illusion. ruined from the get go. <laughs> so I figured <laughs> I'd just ruin it afterwards after, you know, reading it. So I'm happy that a lot of that's accurate yeah. because I spent the whole movie going, I wonder if that really happened. Cause I really honestly don't know much about Charles Dickens as a person. No, neither did I before this. And Tom, to your point about how this didn't popularize Christmas, Christmas was already on the upswing. This is yeah. not the first Christmas book that Charles Dickens published either. It was not. So it would not have been a surprise to the publishers. It's not like it came out of nowhere. Do you know which one he published first? I know he did write one beforehand and four after Christmas Carol. This was arguably his biggest success of his lifetime. Oh, definitely. And he definitely um, continued the tradition as any good writer would. Um, I want to jump in and I do want to say my favorite scene of the entire film also made me very sad. Um, I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead and steal favorite scene first because I wanted to talk about the scene. (laughs) Um, since I watched the movie. You know when he's when Tara's there and she's reading about Tiny Tim being dead and she starts crying? I said to Christine, I was like, can you believe there was a time where we as human beings would cry about a, a character from a book dying? I cried during Harry Potter when Dobby and Dumbledore died, so. Okay, touche, touche. I cry when any character in a book that I'm even quasi-attached to dies in all fairness i'm a big fan of a song of ice and fire you can't do that in those books everybody dies yeah i don't remember crying in any of those (laughs) but you try to be like one constant (laughs) it would take you longer to read the books and it's taking him to write if you cried every time oh (laughs) but but let's talk about that scene though for a minute because i really enjoyed the character of tara in general i did too I really loved that uh, that whole back and forth where she was so adamant that Scrooge has to save Tiny Tim. Like, even he's not that heartless. You know, he wouldn't just let him die. And 
Yeah, I just and then his friend, I forget what his friend's name was. Um uh John, John Forster. Yeah. And then later on when he's reading the manuscript, he's like, So are you really gonna let Tiny Tim die? Because he's in shock too. So mm-hmm. I really like that aspect that they really pushed back about, you know, it was needed not only because it was a Christmas book, but for the character of Scrooge to really be redeemed in the end. He mm-hmm. had to save Tiny Tim. Without him saving Tiny Tim, there would be nothing really redemptive about them. The redemption story would have fallen flat. So I did look this up. He did intend to kill Tiny Tim originally. It doesn't say who helped him change his mind, if anyone, but he did eventually come to his senses and give Scrooge that redemption. And I don't think that A Christmas Carol would be nearly as long-lasting. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> We need that. We need that line, right? Mm-hmm. We need that line. Yeah, um, I do Tara like. Such a that... great character in this movie. I love her. Tara, yeah. Anybody else? Just kind of like there. I go through moments where I really wish I lived a long time ago when things were more simple and experiences were more rich and all of that. When she is sitting there telling stories to the massive kids and they're huddled around her and it's just magical. Like who else wish that that was still real life? You know, without the aid of your phones or whatever it is. I mean, that's just, uh, that's one of my favorite scenes, just a snippet. But I'm like, man, that would be magical if that was still like how it was. I have um, to be negative. I'm sorry. I don't know where this is coming from, but I do. I always get in that thought and then I'm reminded, oh, wait, cholera, scurvy, <laughs> the scarlet fever. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, did we parent trap? Why are you the negative one tonight? I don't know what's... I, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, no, not parent trap. Freak your Friday. But. That, was more, uh, that was more cynical and humor, attempt to be humorous than uh, <laughs> No, but I do. So if you guys, as a side note here, if you could live in any historical time period since Julie brought this up, where would you live? Oh, see, I hate this. I can't answer these questions because There's... I do what you just did. There are so many I'd like to live in, honestly. Like, just to try them all out. I wish I could, like, just hop and experience them all. And then get out before the going gets <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, take, back your, take back your antibiotics with you so that you can't get... Exactly. <laughs> Pull an outlander. Yeah, that question is highly problematic as a woman, by the way. <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff I would love to see in the past. But just by virtue of being a female, most of the time in the past is like super crap time. Like if it's long enough ago and you wanted to have a baby... There are no drugs, and that's a gigantic bummer. Plus, your baby's likely to die, so you don't name it for a year just in case. And also, I mean, so are you. So yeah, exactly. You won't, you won't be around to see your baby die. Yeah, so I feel like that whole when would you live for me has, to have, has a lot of asterisks on the end. If I could take medicine with me and if I could guarantee that birth control was in effect and if I could control this and that and that, then I would most definitely go back to this time. <laughs> Like, let me take care of all this other stuff I love about modern time. And then, Man, what, Anthony, what year was good? We do have a good. What year was what year was Greece set during? That looked fun. Greece. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. What year was that? The fifties. Oh, I despise that movie. I me too. I hate Greece. That well, brings out angry. Somebody. I hate everything about Greece. Everything. Growing up, my sister loved that movie, and she listened to it every day after school oh, not just grease one. Oh no <laughs> oh god yeah um i'm not sure she actually liked it so much as she hated me <laughs> <laughs> okay i really digressed sorry guys okay so i loved all of the scenes in this film where we got a peek into his writer's brain like even before the mm-hmm. ghosts started popping up like when he's you know at the beginning of the film, everywhere he goes, he has that little notebook with him and he's taking down names and stuff he wants to use in the future. I have one too. <laughs> and then I, I just showed mine that I have with me all the time. And um, I loved, loved the scene when he rushes home after hearing Humbug and he's in his office trying to come up with Scrooge's name and he's walking around going scratch and scrum and like just getting into the like mannerisms of the character, getting hunched over with his crooked hands and everything. Like mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved yeah, that. all that felt very accurate too. That's how I picture other people like masters doing it as well. At least that's what I hope they do because that'd be a really fun process to sit back and watch. One thing I want to ask you guys as writers yourselves, like how accurate was 
his process compared to yours. <laughs> I don't talk to it's myself agony. in a room. <laughs> I don't talk to myself in a room. Um, but I do. I, I, I visualize the character. I hear the character talk. Um, I, when I do my character sketches, I see them in their environments mm-hmm. um, and how they interact with other people. And I try to get a feeling of how that character, I try to try to capture how that character makes me feel so I can work on how I want, how that character makes me feel so that I can work on how I want other people to perceive that character. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways it's pretty accurate. I, I mean, my characters um, in my current novel are very much alive and a part of, you know, my world now. Oh, what about you, Julia? Well, I even love in how he's got little rituals before he writes. That part I love that where he had to touch and move a few certain things because writers are by nature very OCD. I feel like particularly when it comes to the process. Mm-hmm. So that resonated to me because, I mean, I have stuff that I feel like I have to do in order to write well. Like for me, it's having Holst's planets on in the background I write really well to Mars. I can't explain it, but some of my best stuff comes when there's Mars in the background. So I loved all of that. And I loved particularly the agony of writer's block because we've all felt it. And though some of my favorite movies and movie moments are creators in the throes of that block, like Big Hero 6 when he's sitting there trying to come out with the idea of what to create and he goes, nothing, stupid, empty, brain and he's so frustrated and the shining is just amazing all by writer's block and shakespeare and love when he's crafting i mean all of these themes i love i loved how the characters too began to take on the life of their own and started saying well you should add a speech here to explain my point of view and like he was like i'm the writer here and they're like mocking him like are you (laughs) like that like that's so true to nature too just from my experience anyway like when you're writing your characters sometimes take you in directions you never thought they would take you. So I've, I've, never had them hand me a, I've never had them hand me a manuscript, though. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, and I love how when he did have writer's block, his characters taunted him. And mm-hmm. so much of this movie, they're just sitting around waiting for him to get, give them something to do. <laughs> okay, I also really loved his frustration when he went to the illustrator that he couldn't convey like what he wanted to convey to this guy like it's a Christmas ghost and the illustrator was just like what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way he made his poor friend dress <laughs> dress Yeah. <laughs> that really sad looking ghost of Christmas person <laughs> costume. <laughs> While we're talking about the ghosts, I will say out of every movie I've ever seen, this one did the best job of creating those ghosts. Yeah, I like loved them. The visuals of the Ghost of Christmas present, how he's this larger than life, hedonistic, revel rising. I mean, I don't know. He was just, he was amazing. And then I loved the fact that Tara became the Ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. Yeah, I I loved the design of the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come, like the little shadowy stone, the way he moved. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, the crackles when Mm -hmm. he moved, but also when you look at him, he still has that ethereal kind of like movement to his. Oh, it was fantastic. That gave me chills when I saw it. It was great. And I'll even say I really liked the Ghost of Marley too. Like he's, (laughs) I just liked. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked him too. He looked like this really decrepit old man, but that's what. When I'm reading that book, I visualize Marley to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I did. I did like the uh, uh, or when the when the when the ghost of Christmas yet to come was moving. Did that just remind you of a Dementor? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And the color too, the grayish black. Uh huh. Very Dementor. It was fantastic. It was amazing. So, what did you guys think? Just stepping aside from his writing for a bit about his about how they portrayed his family life and his relationship with his father. And what did you think of that side of the movie? Like his personal story that didn't have to do with the writing of A Christmas Carol. And I know they're so closely linked, but what did you think of his story? Like his relationship with his dad and his mom and his wife and everything like that. Um, it was agonizing, but that was mostly me wondering, is this actually how it was? Like that's where the history really started to bother me. that I didn't know and it irritated me a little bit because I really wanted to know what his relationship was like with his dad. His dad was 
Very accurate to the point he even yep. gave him an allowance and sent him away to live and everything like that. Okay. Um, and his that was wife, the hardest one for me was his dad, which it's supposed to be, right? But even in the end, I don't know if I was still on a Scrooge mindset, but I was kind of like, it'd be really hard for me to, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. be like, no, come back. <laughs> but I don't know. That also might be intentional. But that one, if had the least amount of realism to me, if I were to put my place, put myself in his place. I felt really bad for his wife. Father. Yeah. Well, I mean, in real life, they didn't stay married. So. Right. Oh, interesting. I right. Didn't know that. But just yeah. her, her longing for that relationship with her husband was, was sad. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't know if it was what they intended or if I was, it was the, the glasses I was watching it through. Um, she seemed much more daft and simple than he was. She didn't seem to understand really a lot. And that's where Tara filled that void. And you could see she was jealous just sitting outside of the room, listening to, to Charles and Tara talking. Um, mm-hmm. which That also made me really sad because she was wanting that connection with her husband and couldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. Oh, but speaking of Tara, I hated, I felt so bad the scene where he sent her away and told him, <sighs> That was so uncomfortable to watch. It made me really mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Yeah. That girl did a really good job of acting. I mean, really, really good. Anna Murphy, she, every bit of her face owned that those feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was phenomenal. And I had I didn't know her before this movie. No, she mm-hmm. I, I, she had no credits. When you when you Google her, she doesn't even come up with a picture like next to her name. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope she gets more roles in the future because she was spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'd hire. So he, the scene toward the beginning where he's just walking around in the de- London in the dead of night and he runs into the really creepy guy with the two children and then chases him down an alley. Yeah, what does what does the creepy guy say that makes him chase him? I have makes no him clue. Chase them. I have because no. I was clue. very confused. He was highly offended by whatever it was that guy said. I think it was too reminiscent of his dad. Uh, was I was going to say, was that um, part of the inspiration? Were the kid, those two kids part of the inspiration for um, uh, what were the two kids the Ghost of Christmas Present showed him in the novel the, that were representations of... Uh, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. But anyway, when Charles Dickens, wandering the st- Ch- Dickens is wandering the streets of London at night, apparently that was very ritualistic. For him in real life, he was quoted as saying that he would wander for miles every night, long past every sober person went home for the night, like just the dark streets, just to sort out his mind and hmm. try to get inspiration. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I yeah. loved the set. All of the sets for this movie mm-hmm. were beautiful, um, particularly London in the daytime. I really enjoyed that. Um, I really thought the score was beautiful, too. It was beautiful. I loved it. It was kind of one of those quieter, you know, mm-hmm. okay, I didn't even... Great. I didn't pay attention to the score. Well, that's what I mean. I mean, there are scores that are intentionally that way, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that had a lot to do with setting the atmosphere for me. It was and beautiful. The one other character I really wanted to talk about, because he was just so sweet, was his friend John Forster. Yeah. Like he put up with a lot of crap from him. <laughs> and uh, you know, yeah, those never... crappy comments about when she turned down or she had to turn down his proposal because her parents were like, heck no. And he said, Well, you know, marriage is not for everybody. And I'm like, what a jerk thing to say. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> really ticked me off but i just love that he knew they were close enough he didn't mean it just like when he kicked him out of his house after he tried to give him notes about tiny tim like and he was like (laughs) seemed legit annoyed and john was just like okay i'll see you tomorrow then (laughs) like he didn't take it personally that also shows that dickens uh, was kind of a jerk because this this apparently happens a lot I, yeah. Which I mean, you can kind of tell it. You can kind of tell it's not something new to him when he tries to apologize to Tara. It's very awkward. <laughs> but he knows. But he seems to be at least self-aware and know what he does. I think it's a, it's rich white man syndrome. They get overly angry and send people away. 
Bruce Wayne did the same thing to Alfred in The Dark Knight Rises. Shut up, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wait, Speaking about favorite one. scenes. <laughs> so I loved the scene where Charles Dickens comes in and his kids are all lined up and he does a different impersonation for every single kid. Like one, who knew Dan Stevens had that wide of a range of a vocal range in him. I was super impressed by that. And I loved the interaction with the kids. Most of the interactions with the kids were great. There's not a ton of them, but all of them are just great. I did not like his interaction with his wife when she told him she was pregnant again. And he was just, what did he say? A little stranger, (laughs) another little stranger. (laughs) Yeah. What the heck? (laughs) Um, So as a dad, I kind of get it. (laughs) Like, uh, okay. How are you? Nice to meet you, tiny human. <laughs> this is my house. Welcome. It's very, it's very awkward. <laughs> okay, so since we're just in favorite scenes, when he gets, when John Forster gives him the first published copy of A Christmas Carol wrapped up, and you just see the emotion on uh, Dickens's face when he's like touching the cover and flipping through, and is like, "This is exactly how I imagined it," mm-hmm. like such great acting on his part like you could see he was overcome with emotion but like kind of trying to suppress it yeah yeah oh it's a great scene i want a copy i want that copy of that book they remade it really Really? Uh uh-huh like you can get the full color color illustrations uh with the same red leather cover and everything i need that and speaking of that scene as well he was a minor character but he made me laugh the guy who was Took pro- who took pleasure in everyone's uh, <laughs> failures. Thackeray. Thackeray, yeah. He's our second Thackeray, by the way. Yes, we did Thackeray. Thing. <laughs> what are the odds of that? <laughs> One and a half Thackerays, right? One and a half. Are you counting Cat yeah. Thackeray as well? No, no, I'm counting uh, that Thackeray as a half because he wasn't part of the actual Tis the Podcast canon, right? Oh, um, that's right. Because Patreon With- Thackeray. No, but yeah, I like that character too. And just how he kind of interrupts that emotional moment Scrooge is having by carrying around the first manuscript before it was published. And it's like, I, gotta, I can't wait to review this. Oh, he's such a peacock. <laughs> yeah. But since this is a Christmas podcast, I would like to talk about the final scene for a moment because it was the most Christmassy thing mm-hmm. in the movie. With the First of all, the score, the... Deck the Halls melody, very slowed down as it was panning around the room with the Christmas tree and it was snowing outside. It just looks so beautiful. Oh, yeah. That snow is perfect. Mm-hmm. That's the snow I want all the time. Well, wintertime. We don't get it. And it says something about, I guess, Dickens as a person, that that was you know the family Christmas party or whatever, but he was allowing his servants, I guess, his housekeepers to be there not to serve them food or drinks, but, you know, Mary Margoyle's character is actually drinking and eating. Like, mm-hmm. so I thought that was a nice, said something nice about who he was yeah. as a person. Yeah. Well, and his wife even said in the beginning, you know, you talk about how little money we have, but you're the first one to give it, mm-hmm. you know, to whenever the mood strikes you, whatever it was that she says. So I like that too. I liked his character in that way, but I also appreciated that struggle they put in him because of his history with his dad that put him on the Scrooge side, but put him on, well, put him on both sides of Scrooge. I really, I loved all of the character stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like I really liked that they, the balance they had, because even though he does have some really uh, jerky moments throughout, Mm -hmm. like, like you say, all throughout the beginning, like he's standing up for the poor and, you know, goes after that guy and the kids, which I assume to rescue the kids. I couldn't remember what the guy had said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's just a good human being. He just has a lot of flaws, like, mm. you know, people do. Right. Um, I did like the development that we got from seeing young Charles in the factory. Way so they do you want to tell our listeners why he's in the factory, in case they haven't seen this movie? His dad got arrested and was in debtor's prison. And Charles had to go to work to support the family at what? How old was he then? Like 10? He was around 10. If I mean, not he, a little younger. Yeah, he was, he was a young kid and he was, you know, fighting back the tears as he had to do, put in all of these extra hours and work. And 
um, he was bullied by the other kids because he insisted on on standing up for his dad's honor, which was even more gut-wrenching. He kept telling everybody, you know, his dad's last words were, you tell them I'm a gentleman. You remember I'm a gentleman. Um, and he said that and, and ended up getting taunted. But the scene where he goes back to the factory after, I guess, it had been, it was, it was dilapidated. I don't know if it was destroyed mm-hmm. or what. But Scrooge shows up, and, ta- and even there, Scrooge taunts him in his memories. That was a really big, uh, you could tell that was a, a big defining moment for Dickens in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's where he came up with Scrooge's ending, too, right there, right? In the factory, when Scrooge shows mm-hmm. up. That's when he came up with, you're going to die in the future, and nobody's going to care. Oh, I love away. that scene. Christopher oh. bangs it out. That's one of my favorite quotes. Can I just say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Scrooge, I love the way they did it too. Instead of Scrooge being above his grave and seeing his body and lamenting over what he's seeing, how he is in it, and the walls are closing in on him, and it's dark, and all like Christopher Palmer's face is illuminated. The cinematography in this movie is beautiful, by the way. Totally. Um, Scrooge is like, I don't want to die, not like this, alone, unloved, forgotten. It's too late. And Charles Dickens says, No, it's never too late. Honor Christmas and try to keep it all year. And Scrooge just begs, I beg you, let me do some good before I die. But, I mean, the words aren't much, but Christopher Plummer. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Dan Stevens. I mean, he was great in this movie. I, I'm just very impressed by Dan Stevens lately. Yeah, me too. But that scene was fantastic. Well, and again, like that scene, he, they threw in direct quotes from A Christmas Carol, what would eventually go down in the novel. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just, I, I said it earlier, but I think that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Like they just worked it into the conversation between mm-hmm. him and the ghosts and him and the people in his life. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I like when him and his, uh, Charles Dickens and his wife, Kate, are admiring the Christmas tree at the end. Mm-hmm. And she says, she's like kind of shocked by it. She's like, good heavens, what is that? And Charles Dickens is like, the Germans call it a Tenenbaum. Now that the royal family has one, it's going to be all the rage. <laughs> I loved that quote too. <laughs> it made me so happy. It was really funny. I like when uh, he's having his writer's block and they're trying to, he's trying to figure out what he's going to do next. And he's with standing there with Forrester and the way he describes um, his despair of where he is as a writer was great where he said, uh, I tell you, I tell you Forrester, my lamp's gone out. I've run out of ideas. I'm old. (laughs) I don't know. We just, we've all felt that way. Yeah, we have. Yeah. So I like, um, I like when Charles is ruminating to himself about Scrooge, like how, Scrooge's ending needs to be particularly with Tiny Tim. And he goes, the problem is, could a man as mean-spirited as Scrooge as evil change? He's not evil. And he's, I love how he's thinking it out as he talks. He's not evil. He's cheap. He has no one else. He's afraid of being found out. And I loved that because that's never what I really think about Scrooge when I'm watching many versions of it really it's not that he's afraid of being found out but i loved how personal that was given how he created scrooge to begin with and his own struggles with it and i loved that so to tie into the last version of christmas carol we do the muppets makes me think of that the most with the scrooge song with the verse he must be so lonely he must be so sad he goes to extremes to convince us he's bad like in that whole verse, like mm-hmm. that's what always, so that's always in the back of my mind, that verse when I'm watching a Christmas Carol, because mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a lot of it is, he doesn't want to be found out. Mm-hmm. He wears, you know, he's hardened himself to the outside world because it's easier than expressing, you know, just how lonely and sad he is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I thought you were going to somehow harken this back to an all-American Christmas carol, and I was ready to... <laughs> I was too. <laughs> to interrupt you hardcore. <laughs> so I have a favorite quote, and it's one from right from the beginning. He's on tour in America, and he kind of has that voiceover. <laughs> and he's like, uh, Charles Dickens is like, Americans are friendly, earnest, hospitable, kind, frank, accomplished, warm-hearted, fervent, and enthusiastic. I can't wait to get home. <laughs> 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 that made me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have I have written down the line where um, they're discussing what what Christmas is, and Charles Dickens did give me the feels early on in the movie when he said Christmas ought to be 
one day when men and women open their hearts to one another. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Yep. We uh, talked about it, but we didn't get the actual quote from Scrooge where Charles Dickens uh, tells him, I'm the author here. And he <laughs> says, allegedly, now if you take my advice, it's just... <laughs> 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 and we, oh, and we didn't we didn't talk about them. They were didn't have much of a role. They were just kind of there in the background after he imagined them. But I like that they did put the Fezziwigs in this movie because I love yeah. the Fezziwigs in a Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have one more quote that I really liked. When the spirit of Christmas yet to come says you're useless, and Charles Dickens corrects him. And says, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of another. My father taught me that. So no matter how old father was, we see this redeem, like we see this as Scrooge is redeemed, as Dickens is redeemed, we see some redeem- redemptive qualities of his dad even at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I needed that too. <laughs> so we talked about it, the scene earlier, but I have the exact exchange between Tara and Charles Dickens about Scrooge and Tiny Tim. And she asks, is Tiny Tim dead? And um, Dickens replies, well, he was very ill and the family has no money for a doctor. And Tara says, and Scrooge must save him. And as they're going back and forth, Scrooge himself and Charles Dickens' imagination is kind of interjecting like me. Of course he's dead. You know what? I'm supposed to save him. But um, I like that Tara says he can change. There's good in him somewhere. I know it. Scrooge says, people don't change. And Charles Dickens is like, he's been this way for a long time. I'm sure he can change. I'm not sure he can change. And Tara said, of course he can. He's not a monster. Scrooge says, I thought this was a ghost story, not a fairy tale. (laughs) And Tara says, he wouldn't let Tiny Tim die, Mr. Dickens. He has a heart, doesn't he? It would be too wicked, even for him. And when she says that, both Scrooge and Charles Dickens do this kind of double take at mm-hmm. the words and they're not sure what to think i just thought that was a very well acted and well it was, it was really fun it added an element of fun and whimsy yeah mm-hmm. oh and that's why that's why i like too whenever scrooge showed up and interjected uh into conversations charles was having in a real world and charles dickens is just trying to ignore him as he was doing it i thought that was fun <laughs> like i yeah, i just love the whole conceit that you know, they were invading his life. He was so obsessed with writing this book. Mm. But because I think there might be some dissension here. I'm not sure. Is this a Christmas movie? I think it's a Christmas movie. I'm voting yes, Christmas movie. I'm going to say yes, but with the caveat that it's all the last scene that makes it a Christmas movie. I was was going to agree with you there, Tom, but this conversation actually changed my mind. And I'm going to say, I think it's a Christmas movie. Um, (laughs) Does this movie pass the Linus test? Well, it darn well ought to. <laughs> we, every good version of A Christmas Carol does pass the Linus test. It could be called the Scrooge test. There is no <laughs> version out there that should not pass this test. So, <laughs> yes, it passes. Last mm. week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, no, so I, to refer to that, I, I propose that we refer to that movie last week as the episode slash movie that shall not be named (laughs) (laughs) i agree let's do it uh not to get on that again but i can't believe something beat santa's sleigh for the lowest ranking so soon only (laughs) like 20 movies in or 20 something movies in and something topped it like we've covered some (laughs) bad films man Uh uh-huh anyway Final thoughts about this movie, Julia. Um, I really loved it. It filled some blocks in for me that I didn't know. And now knowing it was fairly true to history, I really love that. And I love a character story, but particularly if there are British accents involved. So <laughs> the atmosphere was great, even though it wasn't maybe specifically Christmas until the end, it still felt accurate to me. And watching it through the veil of every other Christmas, you know, Christmas Carol story I've ever seen, aside from the one that shall not be named, um, it added a lot of Christmas to it that was just inevitable mm-hmm. by history. So I, I have very little bad to say about this movie. I loved it. So will you be watching it again at some point? 
it will be a part of my Christmas canon. Awesome. Wow. What about you, Tom? I was disappointed. I wanted more. I don't dislike the movie. I was just underwhelmed by the execution and the final product. Uh, For me, like I said, it wasn't what I expected it to be going in, but I still really liked it. Yeah, the more we talked about this movie, I think for me, yeah, I was going to say this isn't a Christmas movie until the end, but by virtue of how important Scrooge and all these characters were in the film and just how iconic and cemented to the holiday of Christmas they are, I think it does make it a Christmas movie. I think they themselves are just as iconic to the holiday as things like the lights and the trees and everything like that nowadays. So, yeah, I really like this movie. I'll watch it again. So, ranking this film. Julia, what do you give it? I give it a 7.95. Tom? I'm giving it a solid 6. And I'm going to give it an 8. Which gives us an average score of... 7.3 or 167. And where does that put that on our list, guys? Let's see. It puts it just below the Santa Claus 2 and just above the Nightmare Before Christmas. So this movie would come in number nine in our top 10. Yep. Oh, I like that it's in the top 10. That makes me happy. I do too. Okay. So, Tom, we mentioned Thackeray earlier. Do you want to talk about where our listeners can hear us talk about another Thackeray? I do. You can hear us talk about another Thackeray on our Patreon. If you go to Patreon and search Tis the Podcast, we have listener-only content. Um, we're working on our schedule for March. We'll have, a new, we'll have something new for all of you in March. Right now, you can listen to unedited episodes of, or our unedited episode of the Office Christmas Party episodes. You can also catch up on Hocus Pocus. If you, depending on what you donate, you can get a cool sticker Um, Just check out over there and see what all you have available to you. You can also support us by interacting with us on our social media pages, um, Twitter at Tis the Pod, Instagram, which is at Tis the Podcast, our Facebook page, Tis the Podcast, as well as um, our subreddit, which is Tis the Podcast. Um, We love chatting with y'all and interacting, so more of that is just as good for us as it's probably more good for us than it is for y'all. We really enjoy it. Um, and if you could and you have the time, you can also support us with reviews in our iTunes store. Um, any five-star review or rating helps us out. It helps us get seen by other listeners. So if you love the podcast and want to spread the wealth, then reviews are great. And they can be pretty quick if you so feel inclined. So speaking of reviews... I wanted to share, I meant to share this review. It was a private review that got, uh, from our, one of our listeners on Reddit. Uh, the username is president underscore hot dog. He didn't um, write it on iTunes or Facebook, but it's such a nice message he sent about our podcast. I wanted to share it and he said it was okay. And I found it really sweet, so I'm going to share it. So He wrote to us, I know you're one of the three elves, and I just wanted to thank you all for your podcast. I've been putting it on every night as I settle in to go to sleep, and it's a very soothing experience. More importantly, I lost my father January 4th, and my father-in-law passed January 26th, so the Christmas of 2016 didn't happen. It was one of the worst years of my life, and unsurprisingly, I was dreading Christmas 2017. However, after Thanksgiving... My wife and I decided that we'd not let grief win. We watched holiday specials. We went to a pop-up Christmas bar. We drank eggnog. We put up the Christmas tree. And we went to visit friends in New York City to see the Rockefeller tree and all the lights on 34th Street. I was so happy to actually feel something positive about Christmas that I was dreading the post-holiday come down, especially after my aunt got sick and we didn't have our traditional family Christmas gathering. Thankfully, I found your podcast. And it helped me ease from the holidays back into something closer to real life without losing that spark of Christmas spirit. I know that making podcasts can be a drain. I have a podcast myself, especially something seasonal and thematic. So when you and the elves are feeling a little lack of the holiday spirit during the dregs of late winter, know that you're doing something good for the anonymous listeners out there. Cheers. P.S. If you're going to read this on air, warn me ahead of time so I can fast forward a little bit to avoid any residual tear-ups that come with expressing heartfelt sentiments. And, I love it. Yeah. We're so glad we can help you and give you a little bit of that cheer year round. And oh, that was really that was sweet. It was. Yeah, that was incredibly sweet. I actually probably should have 
save that message for next week to cheer us up, given <laughs> next week's film. So I know for a fact, while Disco 54 didn't recommend the movie that shall not be named last week, that two of our listeners did recommend the film we're covering next week. Uh, Jen Barrett and her husband, Sean. Uh, for St. Patrick's Day, it's dropping a few, a few days beforehand. Um, they wanted us to cover Rankin Bass's 1981 film, The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. So we are acquiescing and doing that. Return Against our to better judgment. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, huh. in some more positive news, we're getting closer to the holidays. So Tom, do you want to let our listeners know how many days we have left? I do. We are under 300, guys. 295 yeah, yeah. days. Woo-hoo. Yes. I like it. It's only 42 weeks. It'll be here Two before you know it, 40? guys. Oh, I'm ready. It really will. And we have lots of cool stuff to look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, half a year till Christmas in June and Christmas in July. Once you're over the July hump, you know, September begins a Christmas creep. And mm-hmm. we'll, we're going to get there fast. I feel like this podcast is definitely helping the year go by a little quicker. Absolutely. It's it is. By. So, do your homework, guys. Watch The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Jinx.